go. For those that don't know me, my name is Randon, and uh, I'm a lead pastor at Triumph Church in Beaumont and Nederland. I'm glad to be with you. I was with you about a year or so ago in the summer of last year, and I have to say that since then, some of you look like you're doing well, you look healthy, you look strong. Others look like uh, it's been a rough year. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Y'all going to be all right in this service? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm fairly sarcastic, and uh, I like to have a good time in church. And if, if we get off to the wrong foot, this could go badly. So. And we've had a great day so far. So third church is supposed to be the best church. Are y'all the best church? Okay. All right. So hang with me. Um, man, it's good to be with all of you. Uh, very seriously, I love your church. I love your city, your people. Everyone's been so kind and received us today. And uh, glad to be with you and share the word of God with you. Do this with me, if you will. Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. In fact, the 148th Psalm, if you will. We'll read one short verse, and then we'll dive right into the message today. While you're turning there, I want to welcome all of those watching online uh, and whatever medium that you're watching it. Oh, so many people watching on Facebook Live. We are glad to have you with us. Uh, I'm not the normal pastor here, but I'm filling in, and you can just know me as his better-looking cousin, and that'll be okay. Uh, but I want to welcome you to Celebration Church. It's a fantastic church, and maybe you're not with us today because you're just checking us out for the first time. I encourage you to come be with us. Or possibly you're traveling today, getting ready for the holidays. You're, maybe you're at work. Maybe you're in the hospital and can't get here. Whatever might be the case, we're glad that you've tuned in. I want you to feel a part of what we're doing here. Though we're disconnected by space, the same presence of God that is with us here in this service, I believe he wants to step into the very room that you're at, and he wants to speak to your heart and life. So get ready to receive the word from God today. Get ready to hear from him. I want you to get still and quiet. You know, so often we can get distracted by other things going on around us, and we can lose touch. It's easy to when you're sitting at home, or maybe you're in an airport, or wherever you are. But I want to encourage you, stay focused. God has a great word for you today, and he wants to speak to your life. It's going to be a good day for you. Celebration, can we welcome our online family? All right, are you in Psalm 148? Let me get there. Verse 13. Let them all praise the name of of the Lord. Everybody say the name of the Lord. For his name is very great. This is an important principle in scripture that I want to share with you today and we're going to kind of lay a foundation. But I, I want you to see here that the psalmist didn't say God you're great or your ways are great or what you did was great. But rather he said I'm praising your name for your name is very great. We see this throughout scripture, especially in the book of Psalms. We, we see how they praised the name of the Lord. We sing songs about praising the name of the Lord. Why is it? Why don't we just call him by his name? Well, the reason for that is the different names of God invoke different parts of his character. God, as you study scripture from front to back, you see there, there are more names of God 
than I could ever cover in one sermon. But my hope today is to help you understand this principle. If I were to give you a sermon in a sentence, it would be this. If we could understand the names of God, then we could unlock the power of his nature in our lives. Because every different and distinct name unlocks a different part of the nature of God. So when we praise the names of God, specifically whichever one we're calling on or or needing, we praise that part of his name and he shows up with that part of his nature in our life. I'll give you a for instance. When I walk into my church, people call me pastor. Uh, They don't call me hey you, they call me pastor. And when they refer to me as pastor, inevitably, whether I even think about it or not, I respond to them in a pastoral manner. I show up as a shepherd. I show up as a voice in their life. I show up as a leader in their life. I show up as as a voice of, of God or wisdom or whatever it might be. I respond to them as pastor. Why? Because that's what they're calling me is pastor. It doesn't matter if it's on Sunday morning in a service, if I see them at the mall or out on the ball field or anywhere else. The moment you say pastor to me, something in me switches and I immediately respond as pastor. You tracking with me? I also happen to coach uh, baseball and softball. So I I coach, uh, for instance, a a college showcase softball team. Uh, They're playing down the road in spring right now. And when I walk onto the softball field, those girls don't call me Pastor Randon. They call me Coach. Why? They need a different part of my character and my nature. They need a different part of my brain. Now, while I'm always pastoral in my nature, when, I, when I'm dealing with people, in that moment, they don't need me to pray for them. They don't need me to give them a scripture. They don't need me to um, tell them the Ten Commandments. No, they need me to tell them whether or not they steal on this pitch. Do they bunt or do they swing away? Does the play at first or is the play at second? They need me to give them the strategy of the game. So they call on me as coach and I respond in that nature. I go home. My kids don't refer to me as pastor and they don't refer to me as coach. They call me dad. When my kids call me dad, my natural response is to be a father to them. So I'm not pastoring them, although oftentimes my fatherhood is, it shows reflections of my pastoral nature, but I'm responding to them as father, as dad. And then my wife calls my name. No, I don't know why this is funny. This is three services and I'm three for three today and all I did was say my wife calls my name and people start laughing. What do you know about my marriage that I don't? Do you know? I mean, I th- it seems like I go by na- names like seriously <laughs> or again or <laughs> what did you do that for? Uh, no, I-, I have a great marriage. You know, I actually celebrate 15 years of marriage in January. Yeah. I have a, I- I've had a great dream to take my wife on a Hawaiian vacation. The problem is I'm on like a Galveston budget. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, but, but my wife calls me by, by the names that she calls me, and I don't respond to her as pastor. I can tell you that when I have, it doesn't work out well. <laughs> 
I don't respond to her as coach. She doesn't need me to be her coach. She needs me to be her husband. And so when she speaks to me and she calls me by that name, I respond to her in that nature. Whatever title you call me, whatever name you call me, that invokes that part of my character and that part of my nature. The same principle applies to God. And yet, instead of having four natures, He's got more than we can cover in Scripture. But if we could figure out how the process works, that if I need God to be my healer, I shouldn't call him my Savior. I should call him Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. Are you tracking me? Same God, but different part of his nature. If I can understand the names of God, I could unlock the power of his nature. Let's go to a, a, a story in the Old Testament Abraham really begins to learn this. Abraham was a man who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. It's in modern-day Middle East. And uh, it was the land of his father, but they did not worship our God. In fact, they were polytheistic, meaning they worshipped a lot of gods. They had a number of gods. Um, you may not have studied Abraham when you were in school, but you would have studied the Greeks and the Romans and Greek and Roman mythology where they had lots of gods. It was very similar to the world that Abraham grew up in. He had lots of gods. Specifically, they worshipped, one of the main gods they worshipped was Nana, was the moon god. The moon god covered the seasons. It covered the yearly calendar. He, he was, uh, uh, Nana was over uh, the, the growing of crops because of it, it responded to the phases of the moon and the seasons. Uh, also over fertility. It was believed that women could only get pregnant during certain times of the phases of the moon. You, you might have ever heard somebody said it's a full moon and things crazy happen. That was going all the way back to Abraham and the, and the land of Ur. And so they worshiped this god, Nanam. Now, interesting thing about the world that Abraham grew up in. While they worshiped many gods, and, they, and man did a whole lot of talking to those gods, those gods never spoke back to man. Now, you and I know why that is. That is simply because they're not real gods. The moon is not a real god. And if you walk outside tonight and your neighbors see you talking to the moon and expecting a response, they're going to call somebody. <laughs> because the moon is not a real god. The sun is not a real god. The, the, the rain is not a real god. The, 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 the ground and the dirt, they're not real god. And yet they worship them as such, they would never respond to them. Now you put this into context. Abraham has been worshiping all of these gods his entire life. He's never heard them speak to him, nor does he remember anyone else in his world ever talking to a god. Suddenly, the one true and living God speaks out of the heavens and as his voice cracks through the atmosphere, Abraham hears God for the very first time. The first thing he did I, I would imagine was it probably freaked him out. And then the second thing he did was he obeyed this voice. Why was Abraham willing to leave everything else behind, leave the land of his father, leave the land where he was a fairly rich man, a fairly wealthy man, and walk out into the desert into a place that he didn't even know? Because God spoke to him and he had heard God speak for the very first time. He didn't even know anyone else that had done that. So he starts following God out 
into the land of Canaan. But remember, Abraham is now following what we know to be the true and living God, but Abraham still doesn't know that the other gods don't really exist. He's a polytheistic man that's following one voice of one God. He hasn't submitted his life only to this God yet. That does, he doesn't know God to be the only God until about Genesis chapter 17. But in Genesis 14, we see something as he gives us some revelation into the nature of God as he's learning about God. He says these words, he builds this altar to Jehovah um, or, or Yahweh. He builds this altar to this God. He doesn't know what to call him, so he calls him Yahweh or Jehovah. Now the word Yahweh and Jehovah was so holy in the ancient world that when they wrote it, the word Yahweh is actually written with no vowels in it because it was too holy to even write. In fact, by the third century, Jewish rabbis had convinced the people they were so scared to take the Lord's name in vain that they cut the word Yahweh completely out of society. We don't even know if we're saying it correctly or not because the word completely died. We now see it written and we think we know how to say it, but in the third century they wouldn't even let it be repeated for fear of taking the Lord's name in vain. And it all started when Abraham builds this altar to Yahweh. He calls him Yahweh. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 22. Abraham calls God the Lord, God most high, creator of the heavens and earth. He gives him three things. The Lord, God most high, creator of heavens and earth. Now remember, Abraham has been polytheistic in his life. So let's put this into context. Abraham says, you are Lord. This references his relationship, the relationship between Abraham and God. I'm calling you Lord, meaning you're the Lord, you're the king, you're the one in charge of my life. I am your servant. So he connects. I may have been worshiping Nana, but now I'm worshiping you. You're my Lord. That God may have been my Lord, but now you are my Lord. Are you tracking with me? Then he says, God most high. Now often when we read this, we read this as meaning he is God most high, meaning he's above all the things on the earth. He's above all people, he's above all of creation, he's above all of things on earth. And that is a very correct way to read it. But in full context, you have to read it through the lens of a polytheistic man. I've served all of these gods, but here's what I know about you, Yahweh. You're actually God most high, meaning you're not just higher than everything on earth, you're higher than all the other gods in the heavens. He doesn't even know he's the only God yet, but he recognizes he's, he's above it all. Third thing he says is creator of heavens and earth. Somewhere in Abraham, he remembers stories of his great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, and his great, 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 great grandmother, Eve, and how God had created the heavens and the earth when he spoke it into existence. And somehow, Abraham realized that the God that's speaking to me is the same God that created the heavens and earth, and it gives us his role. Uh, remember when, you, uh, when they would worship a God, they would connect that God with his role in the world. And so here's what he says, not only are you the highest of all the gods, but you're the one that created the whole thing. Abraham is learning about God through the different names that he calls him. Are you tracking with me today? 
Yes? Okay. Here's another story. We, we fast forward in Scripture. Because um, it applies to man, not just God, but it applies to man. Uh, in our society, we don't think, we, we don't put as much meaning on names. Uh, you know, we might have read, like, we might when you had your kid, you might have gotten, you know, top 100 girl names in 2004 and picked the one you liked the best and hoped that it had a good meaning. But once you named them, you forgot what about that meaning was. Like, uh, this, this girl's name is, uh, you know, uh, whatever it might have been, Mary, but it really means hope of a greater future or whatever. And so when we were selling the name to our friends, here's what it means. But once the baby was born, it never mattered again, right? That's not the way it was in Scripture. David uh, is out, and he's been conquering, he's been running, he's been fighting, he, and he's out in the wilderness with his, with his mighty men. And there's a man named Nabal there, and he has uh, flocks of, uh, of uh, uh, sheep and herds of cattle, and while David is fighting other people, he protected the herds and the flocks of Nabal. He protected all of his animals, all of his livestock. Well, at a certain point of the year, when these ranchers and these farmers and these shepherds, they would bring them in, and it was t when it was ever time for a harvest or time to, to shear the sheep uh, or time to, uh, to go ahead and uh, kill a, a cow to eat or whatever it might have been, they would always have these huge parties, massive parties that would go on for like a long time, and they would celebrate the harvest coming in, whatever that harvest was. So it's time to shear the sheep, and Nabal brings in all the, the sheep, and he starts shear, shearing them, and they're having this huge party. This party is going on for days, and they're drinking and drinking and drinking and partying it up, and there's barbecue, and there's food. It's a wonderful time. David hears about it. So he says to his men, hey, guys, we've been protect, protecting this guy's herd. We've been protecting his sheep. Now he's having a party. We ought to go. We ought to celebrate with him. So they start packing up to go. Well, Nabal gets word that David is going to crash his party. Gets all upset. Starts cursing David. Don't come to my house. You're not welcome here. Speaking all these curses over him. Now, this is it's kind of crazy. The, the man has protected all your livestock. You're, you're throwing a party for all your friends. Why not invite David? Well, David gets word of it. And I know that David was a, a worshiper. And, and he played the harp, and uh, you know he danced before the Lord, and he did all these great things, but make no mistake about it, David was a man of war. He, was, he had a temper, and when he hears about what Nabal said to him, he loses his mind. He said to his guys, mount up, we're not going to a party, we're going to war, and I'm going to kill all of Nabal and his entire household. He says, we're going to kill them all. So he starts loading up. Well, Abigail, Abigail now is Nabal's wife. She hears about what David has said. She hears about what her husband did. She grabs as many gifts as she can. She gets her servants, and she races to where David is at. And she throws herself on the ground. She gives him all of these gifts, and she says, David, please don't do what you're about to do. And here's her reasoning why. This is a... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 25. And here's what she said. Speaking of her husband, Nabal is a bad-tempered boar. 
Bore is, in this instance, notice it's not B-O-A-R, it's B-O-O-R. It doesn't mean a, a pig or a hog. Here's what it means. It means a rude or unmannerly person, and I'm literally reading from dictionary.com right now, so I'm not making this up. It, it means a country bumpkin or a yokel. So if you're watching online, get this with me. Abigail comes running to David. She throws herself on the ground, gives him all these gifts, and says, don't be mad at my husband. He's a country bumpkin. He's a yokel. He's ill-mannered, bad-tempered. I don't even know what to do with the guy. This is her husband. If my wife went running to somebody and told her about that me, we would have some intense fellowship. <laughs> this is what she does. But she said, watch, watch what she goes on. But please don't pay any attention to what he said. She gets worse. He is a fool. Just like his name means. The word Nabal, the translation of the name Nabal, literally means fool. She comes to David. She says, don't listen to anything he said. He's a bore. He, he's he's ill-mannered. He's a fool. But that's not even his fault. His parents named him fool, and he's just living up to whatever they named him. That's what she says. He, he is the very nature that his parents told him he would be. She goes back. Her husband finds out about what happened. He has like a heart attack or a stroke or something, and he ends up dying a short time later. Abigail ends up marrying David, who goes on to become king. She went from a fool to the king. Can somebody say upgrade? <laughs> the principle I'm showing, trying to show you here is that whatever his name was, it was determining his nature. We see this throughout Scripture. One, one more. Are you all okay? Okay, just, just making sure. We don't have any boars in the room, do we? Wise, why are you looking at your husband right now? Don't be, don't be calling him out. Exodus chapter 33, Moses goes to God. He says, God, you know, I'm, these people, there are a lot. There, there's, there's millions of them, and they've never been anything but slaves. They, they, they're, they're driving me crazy, and I need to know what you're doing. He says, Lord, show me your ways. Show me your ways, Exodus 33. I need to know them. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, Moses, wherever you go, I'll, I'll go with you. Whatever path you take, God's saying, no, 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 no. I need you to show me your glory. I need, I need more. I, just, I, like some, I know that you're with me, God, but I need you to show me. I need to see something. I, I need you to show me your glory. And God says, I, I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. I, I can't let you see my face because any man that sees my face will surely die. But I'm going to take you up on the rock. This is what God does with Moses. He said, I'm going to take you up and I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock or, or a crack in the mountain, if you will. So he hides him in this rock. So there's mountain on his left, mountain on, mountain on his right, and mountain behind him. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hand over you and I'm going to allow my goodness to pass before you. I can't let you see it or you'll die. You can't see my face or you'll die. So I'm going to put my hand there. I'm going to cover you. And I'm going to allow my goodness to pass before you. And as I pass in front of you, though you can't see me, I'm going to call out my names. 
So here is God saying, when I pass in front of you, I'm gonna say my own names. Even though you can't see me, you can hear my name, and you'll know that my goodness is passing in front of me. Then once I'm gone, I'll remove my hand, and you will have been able to see the glory and the goodness of God. Isn't that just how life works for us many times? We can't see God. We're boxed in by the problems and the situation around us. And even at times it feels like God is hiding himself from us and we can't see him and we say, God, where are you? I need to see you. I need you to show up. I need to know where you're at. I just, I, I, I don't know if you've ever said that, but I, I've been in times in my life where I'm just begging God, God, I need to see you. And here's what we learned from Moses. Even when you can't see God, if you could just hear his name, even when you're struggling in your your health and you're battling with cancer and sickness and disease, even when you can't see where he's at as you're going through chemo, if you could hear the name Jehovah Rapha, that he is a God that heals, it would stir something up in you. When you're going through times and you're stressed out and you're worried and you're full of anxiety and there, there are problems all around you, even when you can't see God, if you could hear the name Jehovah Shalom and know that he is the God of peace despite all the circumstances in your life. Can I preach just a moment? Even when you're going through times in your life and you've lost your job or you've lost your home in a storm and you have no provision you don't know where it's going to come from if you could just hear the name Jehovah Jireh you would know that he is a God who provides for you and though you don't see him in the moment when he passes by and he removes his hand, you may not have saw, seen him moving but once you've seen and you've heard his name you look up and you realize, like the psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy have been following me all the days of my life. Even when I couldn't see you, God, I heard your name and I knew your goodness was passing before me. The power of the names of God. There are many of them and I challenge you to know them, to read them, to study them. Because you need to be calling on the right name. You need to invoke that nature of God in whatever situation you're going through. Don't just play, pray to God. Call on the names of God and invoke his nature in your life. Can I get an amen this morning? I, I want to give you one name. I want to give you one name that you may not know. There are a lot of, lots of names that we know. We know God as Savior. We know God as Lord. We know God as King. We know God as Wonderful Counselor. We know Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. We know Jehovah Shalom. We know many of these names of God. But there's one name that you may not know that, that has been such a huge help to me in my life this year that I wanted to share it with you. We find it in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35. It's actually the very last verse in, in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets we see in the Old Testament, but he's, he's not necessarily a good prophet because he is prophesying that Jerusalem is going to be taken over, it's going to be conquered, it's going to be laid in ruins, people are going to be scattered and taken into captivity, and it's all because of the idolatry of the people. Because you have turned away from God, God is going to allow his judgment to come upon Jerusalem. But at the very last verse, the very last thing he says, these are the last words you hear Ezekiel write. The distance around the entire city will be six miles. What is he talking about here? And from that day, the name of the city will be 
the Lord is there. Remember I said Abraham built an altar and named it Yahweh or Jehovah, called it a name of the Lord? Same principles applying here. We see a name of God. Now he's specifically referring to Jerusalem, but principally he's referring to what God does in our lives. And the name of God is Jehovah Shammah, or the Lord is there, the Lord is present. It means a couple of things to us. First of all, it means that no matter where you are in your life, the Lord is there with you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you, even though when you're going through difficult times, he is always there. To the, to the Israelites, when your city is being destroyed, know that God is present and he is there and he's going to take care of you. When I'm looking at, at our city, in Port Arthur, 80% of Port Arthur had, uh, had flood damage, and uh, 40% of Beaumont, 60% of Orange, 80% of Vider, 100% of Bevel Oaks, and then when you go on down the list, and I've got family after family after family, hundreds uh, of families that have been completely flooded and lost everything with no insurance. And when you're in a place when your whole life seems to be destroyed, you've got to know Jehovah Shammah, even though I don't see it, the Lord is still there and he is still present with me but it means something more than that. He doesn't stop there. Because what Ezekiel is saying, what, what God is saying through Ezekiel is, yes, because of your idolatry, because of what you've done, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But what these last verses mean is that not only will Jerusalem be destroyed, not only will bad things happen in your life, but I want you to know that the city with six miles that he's talking about, that's Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to rebuild it. Why? Because the name Jehovah Shammah is a reminder that God is a restorer. There are places in my life, there are things in my life that I've lost. I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't cause the rains to come it's not my fault that, that Nederland recorded 68 inches of water in just a matter of days. I didn't cause that. But still, God is a restorer. There are other places in my life, there are mistakes that I've made, there are problems that I have caused. And while no one else may blame me, and I might have done a brilliant job of passing the buck, I can tell you that in my heart I know I caused the problem. I made the mistake. I'm the one. And the, and the heartache and the pain and the loss that I'm dealing with is not because of anyone else, but it is because of my own decisions. And yet still, to Jerusalem, to me, and maybe to some of you today, even when we cause the problem, here's what Ezekiel wants you to know. Your God, Jehovah Shammah, is a restorer. I'm going to give you five things that Scripture promises that God wants to restore in your life. Five things. Some of these may apply to you. Some of them may not. The first one is this. God wants to restore your health. You can read it in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. God wants to restore your health. You say, Pastor Ryan, I'm just struggling. My body, things are breaking down. I, I don't have the strength of my youth. I want, I want to speak over your life today. God is getting ready to restore health. That's what he does. He restores health. Number two, God restores wealth. 
Maybe you've lost because of something you did, bad business decisions, or uh, made a mistake on your job and you lost your job, or maybe it wasn't because of you at all. But can I speak over you according to Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and Job chapter 42 verse 10, that God is a restorer of wealth. Number three, God restores our time. Joel chapter 2, he wants to restore the years that the canker worm stole from you. We lose years when we're off, maybe, maybe making mistakes. Maybe we got away from our marriage. Maybe we got away from our kids. Or maybe our kids got away from us. Or maybe there was separation in a relationship. Maybe you got off track and made mistakes and it seemed like your life is living from behind. You're trying to play catch up. I want to declare over your life a restoration of time according to the Word of God. Number four, he restores our soul. Psalm chapter 23, the Lord restores our soul. I've been living on this word day and night. We have 10 insurance claims going on in our buildings alone, trying to help our city rebuild. We're stressed out, we're worried. We're carrying weight that we don't normally carry. I've been shorter than I mean to. I've been more harsh than I mean to. I've reacted with more anger than I ever wanted to. And every night when I lay down, I ask, with a God who restores my soul from Psalm 23, will he take away the stress and the anxiety and the worry? Will he heal me, heal my heart, heal my emotions, heal my mind, heal my spirit, and give me a fresh start? And I have to wake up every day with a restored soul. How does that happen? because I serve a God who restores our soul. And number five, he restores everything you've lost. Deuteronomy 30, verse three, the Message Bible. God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. I don't know what you've gone through in your life. I don't know why you've lost hope. I don't know what, what has pulled you away and scattered the pieces of your life to and fro throughout the years, throughout cities and situations and problems and struggles. I don't know it all, but God never missed one thing. And he promises in his word to go pick up the pieces of your life. This person hurt you. That person hurts you. That situation caused you deep pain. That situation broke you. You left a piece of yourself here. You left a piece of yourself there. And God wants to pull it all together and restore you. And can I say this to you? Something that has been properly restored is almost always worth more and more valuable than it was in the first place. Your worth, your value goes up when God restores you not down. He loves you. He wants to help you. Can I pray for you this morning? Can I ask you to stand with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a restorer. God, Jehovah Shammah, 
the God who is present, the God who is there, the God who restores. Father, restore us today for the pieces of us that are lost, that are scattered throughout our lives, throughout our history, throughout our city, and and all the things that have gone wrong. Father, restore us. Pull us back together. I am praying that you would restore health and wealth and time, that you would restore our souls, and that you would restore everything that we've lost, the things we caused, and the things we had nothing to do with. Lord, do a wonderful work in the lives of your people. May we leave here encouraged and refreshed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. If you need prayer ministry this morning, if you'd like someone to pray with you, maybe there's a specific situation that you're going through and you need help. doesn't matter what it is. We have some wonderful people here, and they want to pray with you. I'm just a firm believer that God is here, and he cares about what you're going through, and he wants to be involved in your life. So give us a chance. Pray with you and believe that God's going to show up for you this morning. Can I bless you before you go? Be blessed in the name of the Lord, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed going in and blessed going out. May the Lord bless all of your efforts with success, and may you wear his favor as a shield protecting you from every attack of the enemy and separating you from the people of this world. Be blessed, blessed, blessed in all that you do. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for allowing me to share the word of God with you. Our altars are going to be open. You can go as you will. I'll see you very soon.